democracy, bridging facts and norms. My name is Maija Setälä. I'm a professor in political science at the University of Turku in Finland. Well, how did I end up here or there? I first studied at the University of Turku. Uh, I studied, studied with political science and philosophy, and I kind of didn't like political science so much. I actually was, was considering uh, changing my major subject, but uh, and especially philosophy was really something I was really into. So I, I really found that very motivating, and I was reading a lot related to that. But then somehow I stuck to political science, didn't change my major subject, and got my master's in early 1990s. And then I was a horrible recession in Finland and everybody was more or less unemployed and I thought I have to go somewhere and then I decided to go to LSE for a year first to start up my PhD. And I had excellent supervision at the LSE. I had Brian Barry and Keith Dowding as my supervisors and, and they were also really encouraging. And, and from those days I also got this interest in combining normative theory and empirical research. That was really something that Brian Barry was already talking at those days, arguing that a lot of kind of normative issues, well, for him at least, he thought that these are kind of resolved to some extent, that we have certain ideas of justice and deliberation, for example, and that there are a lot of interesting empirical questions, especially that one should study. And then, of course, at that time, I was working on my PhD thesis, which was on referendums and For that reason, I also had this long-standing interest in Swiss system, which is quite different from other countries. So you had already chosen the PhD topic when you were still in Finland and you arrived with it in LSE. Yeah, that's right, because we had this one referendum, which was the second referendum ever held in Finland, and that was about the EU membership. And of course, that was a quite exceptional event in Finnish political system, and there was a lot of public controversy and discussion on the role of referendum in system like Finland and that got me interested in the topic but of course when I when I studied the subject further I realized that this is very different from the Swiss <laughs> direct democracy or any other so yeah of course that's a kind of a long story how I got to understand these differences and also understanding the different mechanisms of accountability and responsibility in these so-called direct democratic institutions. But also at the LSE, I developed the interest in these kind of more normative and theoretical questions. But I think it's been a long way in a way that, uh, you know, it's not so easy always because it's a complex, complex issue. And uh, after the PhD, so you went back to Finland right away? Yeah, that's right. I went back to Finland after my PhD I got the position as a postdoctoral research first in a project, but then postdoctoral fellowship on my own. Postdoctoral fellowship at the Columbia University for some months with Brian Barry once again. So I think he's been really influential when it comes to my academic career. And then also having some teaching positions at the University of Turku and getting more and more in, into this theory of deliberative democracy and When I got this professorship, my predecessor was really into rational choice theory. So he was a public choice theorist, basically. And one of his uh, heritage was to have um, this PCRC lab. So we had a lab for 
doing experimental economics. So when I got this position, I realized that well, now I'm in charge of such a lab. And then I started to think about kind of possible designs we could do there, which would be more in line with my own interests in political science. And then I had a few colleagues there who were doing more experimental work, so then I ended up doing these experiments on deliberation. And in a way, I think I've been lucky because I have had such good colleagues in, in Finland because my, you know, especially when it comes to experimental research, when I started this experiments, I had no idea about the methodology or anything. So instead of reading a lot of method books, I have kind of learned by doing with somebody who have done this kind of research before. So it's been quite rather easy in that way. So how do you define your own research, in, if you define it at all, in terms of the sub-disciplines of political science? Because usually you have these distinctions between empirical political science, political theory, political philosophy, and so on. And you've been kind of on different fields, so... Do you define your field of studies in, in, in these terms at all? Or do you consider that your question, the questions that are relevant to your research go beyond one single of these sub-disciplines? Yes, I think they probably have gone beyond, but I think what's unifying there is an interest in democracy. And, well, at some point I felt that I didn't really have the capacity to deal with these kind of more normative issues or philosophical issues. Now I kind of feel that I would like to do more of that kind of a work, but I still feel that I'm not strong enough in that area. So in a way, it's been kind of easier to address some more empirical issues because then you at least have a little bit narrow focus and also it's more concrete in a way. So I think I'm kind of a wannabe, <laughs> wannabe philosopher <laughs> at the end of the day, but I think you can't separate these things entirely. Theories of justice and democracy have these assumptions on human reasoning and behavior, and at least partly these are empirical or something that we can test. At the same time, I think the kind of core ideas of, for example, impartial justice are basically normative, and I don't think you can really kind of falsify or even maybe challenge them by any empirical findings. I think you have to be careful what is kind of something you can study empirically and something you can't. So I think there are different relations when it comes to empirical and normative. So there are certain issues which are kind of normative theory making an empirical statement, like participatory theorists would say that participating in politics makes you more inclined to participate in the future. So that's an empirical statement. And to some extent, normative theories can be revised based on empirical findings. So then you can start thinking of what kind of participation you are talking about. But then I think there are certain core ideas that you can't really kind of falsify. I think eventually there is a kind of clear-cut distinction at the end of the day. So I think there is a little bit of risk of when you're doing kind of empirical research very close to closely related to normative questions that you start to kind of compromise your views of normative views too much. Because that I think at the end of the day, you should stick to them. At least you should aspire to these kind of ideals or views of impartiality, of impartial justice and political equality, even though they are not very easy to achieve in any context. 
So the reality is not as good as the ideals we have, but that's not a reason to give up on the ideals. Yeah, I would think so. I think at some point, let's say a couple of years ago, I was kind of not so clear about that. But I think I've become more fundamentalist in, in that respect, that I think at the end of the day, we should aspire to these things like impartial justice, political equality in certain more complex ways. But uh, of course, it is very difficult. And we know that there are a lot of institutional and social and psychological barriers for these kinds of ideas. But then we should think about the conditions that help us kind of approximate these things. I mean, these would be probably David Estland's terms. I think a lot of confusion with deliberative theory at the moment seems to me that it's because some people are mostly concerned about the idea of justice. And then they start thinking in terms of political systems as kind of ideal political system as a just political system. So then you start thinking about ways in which people can participate in the political system and how they can influence the agenda and so forth. And then, you know, this is not all deliberation. Some of it is participation. Some of it is something else, mobilization. And these should not be regarded as deliberation. So in that respect, I think the article by Mark Warren, which will come out this year, I think, in American Political Science Review, which is about the kind of a functionalist view of democratic system, that's probably more useful than the approach based on the idea of deliberative systems. So in this sense, the empirical work is also informing what kind of ideals you can defend or or what kind of institutions you should promote. Yeah, I think that's uh, what I've been thinking. And I think think there's a bit of engineering me too, that I'm kind of interested in institutional design. Because I think the institutions do give people different incentives and depending on the can shape people's behaviours. And we have seen it in various contexts. But of course, there are limits to that too. So, of course, if the society is really unequal and, and levels of education are really bad, and and also, of course, there are other institutions and democratic institutions, we shouldn't forget about those. So, for example, administration and and, uh, and the kind of corruption there can be really harmful also for democracy. You said something very interesting before that your kind of both theoretical and empirical approach was also linked to the fact that you study democracy. And I'm wondering if you think that democratic theory and the field of democratic studies particularly requires building bridges between theoretical and empirical research. Yeah, I think that's right. And in a way, that's probably why I've been kind of stuck to this area, because it is a way to combine these two and think about the relation between these two. And especially like theories of deliberative democracy, they have been very much influenced by both normative theorists and empirical research. And I guess that's why I found it so interesting. And it's actually a very lively community at the moment. Of course, now we are seeing something very non-deliberative happening in our political system. So I think we are really challenged by that. But even with the kind of theory of deliberative democracy... I would think that a lot of its appeal is related to the fact that theories of deliberative democracy especially are rather close to the idea of justice. So they kind of there's a closer link between theories of democracy and theories of justice when it comes to that specific field of theorizing about democracy. So if you think about liberal democracy, 
or more empirical theories of democracy, there is not such a strong normative appeal, whereas in theories of deliberative democracy, especially there is this kind of normative appeal which is based on the close link with the theories of justice. You mentioned that you work with your colleagues um, quite often on, on projects on, on experimental mm. um, research, for instance. How does this direct collaboration with people from many, maybe different disciplines or with a different approach functions? And what do you contribute in such interdisciplinary work? Well, for me, it's not been so interdisciplinary because most of them have been political scientists, others more ex experimentalist or more empirical political scientists. Now we've been working with some behavioral economists. Well, I think it's been rather fruitful for me. Well, of course, I've been learning a lot, but I think I have also kind of a, maybe a bit different ideas what they have because they tend to read the kind of literature on their fields. And especially with economics, I think it's relatively easy if you add something like a discourse or something, it's already outrageous and they don't really understand that this could make any difference <laughs> anywhere. But uh, for for us, of course, it's very obvious that these make do make differences. When you work, for instance, with economists, do you have to convince them of the validity of your approach with including discourse and so on? Or do they trust you, for instance, with the theory part and then they do something? How, how does it work very, very concretely? Well, with the economists, of course, the kind of hardcore economics doing probably wouldn't understand this, but these are behavioral economists, so they are more used to the idea that there may be something and the models in economics don't really predict people's behavior very well. So I think they are open to new ideas. So I don't think I've experienced when concretely when we are working with this experimental project, I don't think we have had such problems. They may be a bit confused in the beginning and a bit skeptical about the idea that, for example, the requirement of justification in our experiment could actually have some concrete impact on people's behavior. But they are also open to evidence. So once we've got the results, they are happy <laughs> to see them and accept them. <laughs> Yeah, and then for what audience are you writing? Is it do you have to choose between an audience of behavioral economists and one of political scientists, or do you find an outlet for such interdisciplinary work? I would think that this would be mostly political science journals, what we are aiming for. There is quite a lot of uh, experimental political science also. You were included as an expert in several policy commissions in Finland and one of them was the very successful preparation of a project for the introduction of a citizen's initiative in the Finnish constitution. What was exactly your role in this commission and how did this process go from your perspective as a political scientist? Well, it was really interesting. Uh, I think it was 2009 when they invited me to be part of this committee and It was really one preparing the draft uh, for some constitutional changes in Finland. The idea of citizens' initiatives, which is kind of an agenda initiative, so it doesn't lead to a popular vote but uh, goes to the parliament, was introduced by the government and especially by the Greens. But then the committee was expected to elaborate and write a draft law So from my perspective, of course, it was really interesting. First of all, I had to study 
different institutions and practices of initiatives in the European context. Also, I was really skeptical about the idea of agenda initiative because I, I thought that this cannot have any impact anywhere because it doesn't have that kind of a power as initiatives with popular vote would have. But then I learned that this can actually change, which kind of was already a kind of a confirmation of the idea of power of discourses in the parliamentary democracy. So if you have a good case and parliament can deliberate. So I think the key is that there has to be a forum for deliberation in order these types of initiatives to be influential. And when we were writing that law, I think there were very good input by other experts and also by some civil servants. Politicians were a bit skeptical, but then I think they kind of accepted the idea of agenda initiative because we argued that this doesn't really undermine your power or your position or the principle of parliamentary sovereignty, which is really important in Finland. The committee consisted of experts in constitutional law, in political science, but also like former MPs and some active politicians. Mm-hmm. So you already had to convince them first of the proposal, and so it was a deliberative group in a way. Yeah, I think it was a deliberative group. You could see that there was deliberation going on, people were open to arguments. Maybe the hardest ones were acting politicians, because they were especially suspicious about the idea that anything could could come out of uh, from citizens and also certain groups or parties which felt that their position could be uh, threatened by initiatives so for example the certain relatively small parties with for example swedish speaking people's party because they've been under this populist threat. And I think they were rather skeptical about the initiative. But I think it's been working relatively well. And I think in Finland, especially the Ministry of Justice, has been really active in developing and making it more accessible to people, for example, by introducing this online forum for collection of signatures. So I think it's been a success and it's immensely popular in Finland. 2015, when we had the parliamentary election, there was this electoral survey. And in that survey, about 80% of people said that this has improved Finnish democracy. So that's a high number. (laughs) And how different was this experience compared to your research or teaching activities? Yeah, I think it was really interesting. I really liked it. Although it included meetings in Helsinki like at eight o'clock in the mornings, which meant that I had to leave my hometown Turku at like five thirty in the morning, so that was a bit painful sometimes. Also observing from inside how the political system kind of works and interacting with members of parliament and so forth. So I think it's been really interesting. Sometimes I regret that I couldn't tape the discussions in the committee because they were really interesting in, in kind of as an observer it would have been interesting to see how it worked but of course then I had to make my case there too and argue for the certain types of institutions but I think the goal among among a lot of people in the committee was that we have to make the institution work we have to make it influential We don't want any institution which is kind of pseudo-participatory that gives the impression of people that they can influence and yet they can't because we also know that this would create a lot of 
frustration and, and eventually cynicism. And that's something that was also very crucial that we argued in those terms also to the politicians. So they kind of thought that, okay, one, if we do it, we have to do it right rather than, you know, rather not to do it at all then. Mm -hmm. mm. And did you feel that you had extra responsibilities by being in this special committee? Because you're not really accountable to the people. I mean, you're mm -hmm. working on accountability, but in this case, you're a bit like you're the invited expert. You're talking as a, a, an academic authority yeah. in a way. Did you feel that you had extra responsibilities? Well, I would say that, yeah, I took it quite seriously at that time. Also, I was then a research fellow, so I had quite a lot of time to work on this topic. So now that I'm a professor, I can't really focus on anything like that, a side project like that anymore, because I have so many duties at the department. But then I really had quite a lot of time, and I, I took it really seriously. But I think I've learned through that process very much, and also now we have had a project on Finnish citizens' initiatives, so now I, we have something to study. So as a, as a scholar, it's been really rewarding first to kind of uh, involved in designing an institution, and then you can study it, how it works. So it is also interesting. And also in the future, they will now write a review of the institution, so I think our research report will very much contribute to that review. So it's kind of an interaction between the political system and the Ministry of Justice, especially in Finnish context. So I have a final question, which is, since, I mean, in this case, you played quite uh, an important role in designing policies, and it's quite obvious that political theorists and scientists have a role to play in democracies, being experts or maybe being more engaged in political debates or writing for the public and so on. Um, what are, in your view, the responsibilities of our profession towards the society? Yeah, that's a good, a big question. Well, I think, of course, it depends what kind of a role you have and, and context also, how receptive the society is for people like you. Because I think there are huge differences. But I've observed, for example, with my British colleagues that I don't think anybody really cares about what the, what the political scientists say. Whereas in Finland, the media is really interested in our opinions. They want to hear an expert's opinion on a lot of things. So it can be even a nuisance for some people that they've been interviewed so much. So I think in in a way, I'm in a lucky position that I'm in a society where, where experts are still appreciated and, and listened to. But I think fundamentally, I think, well, for me, of course, being a democratic theorist, I'm interested in developing democracy and trying to make it work. I'm not so much a public figure. I'm kind of, well, I've been interviewed in several places and, and so forth, but I'm not like in the media all the time. And I kind of maybe prefer this kind of a long-standing being an expert for a committee or something like that where where I can kind of develop the idea a bit further rather than being on TV and saying something in like 20 seconds or even that is a very long interview <laughs> nowadays. So, but I think it is important that we interact with the society and we try to make our topics relevant. Of course, there are certain, you know, areas of basic science that basically you may be not able to do that but like people like with political science I think it's not so distant from from what's going on in, in the 
in the public life. So I think we can make impact, at least in certain places. I, I probably it is the same in Switzerland as in Finland. But for example, in Britain and and United States, I think it's rather different, and people's attitude towards experts can be quite different too. And and besides the fact of trying to reach a wider audience, do you think that there is also responsibilities in the sense of choosing a certain topic of study? Well, I don't know. I'm not sure if, if we can generalize like that. I'd rather not. So I think in... For me, it's been rather easy because I'm I'm a democratic theorist and, and and interested in democratic innovation. So it's been. But for instance, the fact that you're working on Finnish cases um, yeah. quite regularly, it's also a form of service that you give back to the yeah. taxpayers who are paying. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Whether they like it or not. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, but I, I don't think you can generalize. I think you know, of course, you should have this kind of academic freedom and let ideas, different ideas and areas. You know, it's, I, I wouldn't like to constrain it too much. So, so I think it's also important to have a bit crazy ideas and and topics which are not so common and and also something totally not useful. So I think it, in academia you should have an opportunity to, to do something which is not useful because we are maybe a bit too much stuck with the idea that we have to be so useful. And we don't really know what is useful in the long run. And and, and also there are the other values than being of use. So I think I would say that academic freedom, you should do whatever you fancy. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Brought to you by democracynet.eu